As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. First real disappointment of the season, Newcastle failed to break down the Bournemouth block. Hope in line to Nick Pickford's shirt. And not for the first time, Chorley proved tough opponents for our women's team. Yes, hello, this is Pod on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. I'm Taylor Payne and I'm joined as usual by Newcastle correspondent Chris Woff and senior writer George Cog and how the devil are we chaps Chris are you okay mate I'm all right yeah I mean I went I went for a coffee earlier on with George and now I'm no longer in his company yeah no, now I'm no longer in his company I'm having a better day so yeah <laughs> wonderful how about yourself how are you I'm good yeah you got any way to respond to that George that's slight against your character uh, I'm reeling. I'm reeling slightly. I mean, I am full of snot. I've got a post-Great North Run cold, and now I just truly wish that I've given that to Chris. (laughs) That's about all I've got to say on that. Oh, great fun. Well, I've I've had a canny canny weekend as well. I was was at a little festival up at Druridge Bay on Saturday night. The Druridge Bay camp out. Had a lovely, lovely time. Smashing a little little jaunt up the coast. Very nice. Lovely stuff. Were you performing? I was performing, yes. Yes. Was my my uh, my band were headlining the uh, the big tent, as it was called. Lovely, what a beautiful part of the world! Oh, it's amazing. I love it up there. Anyway, it's been a, a been been a bit of a funny week, but let's crack on. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Athletic at a special price of just one pound a month for the first six months. To claim that offer, go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and get access to all of our great writing as well as ad free versions of the Athletics podcasts. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Sign up now. Come 
on you, Maggie's. Right then, chaps. Uh, Bournemouth were at St James's Park on Saturday. Uh, bit of a nout game, wasn't it, Chris? There wasn't much going on. It was a bit of a disappointing performance. A 1-1 draw. Alexander Isak on the score sheet, but uh, I I think we've got to be kind of a little bit disappointed we didn't take all three points in that one. Yeah, just before going to a wider discussion, I just want to to say that that about midway through the first half, uh, George Culkin, uh, our our senior writer here, turned to me and he said, there's absolutely no way Bournemouth are going to score in this game. And I said, what what makes you say that? And he says, they're not. There's no way Bournemouth are going to score in this game. And, uh, And... he was proved completely incorrect. Uh, so that there you go, there you go, George. You'd like to defend yourself. Chris, Chris you, you're starting You're starting come all guns blazing today, hasn't he? In a very aggressive manner. I mean, <laughs> and that's me. fine. If that, if, you know, if you pull a knife, I'll pull a gun. You know, that's, that's if it's, if we're doing this podcast the Chicago way, then, then, you know, that's fine. But as long as we all know uh, I'd, anyway, I did say that I couldn't see Bournemouth scoring. It did feel, I just, you know, they were they they came happy with you know to for for a draw. It felt to me, and a goalless draw. Um, I mean, I think we'll come on to that because I think that's quite quite interesting in itself. But it was it was it was a flat occasion and it was a flat match, albeit it had some interesting moments, which we'll come on to. Anyway, we should probably start yes with this assessment from. From Dan Byrne afterwards, uh, had a chat, little chat with him afterwards, and it was a pretty honest assessment I thought from him. Frustrating. Thought we probably should have took the lead when we we're on top in the first half, and then it's hard trying to break down when they put everyone behind the ball. But uh, I think we'll probably come up against that a lot more this season. People trying to take the sting out of the game a little bit, trying to dampen the crowd down. So yeah, all in all, I think it's probably two points lost. It's interesting you mention that because we used. Here to seeing Newcastle sit behind the ball you yeah. know, for quite a few, and this is it's a different challenge for this team. Though, Definitely it? a change of mentality, and um, I just said something we've got to get used to. We've got to find ways of breaking and um, breaking that down. Is that the thing that's missing? This, the kind of that little spark. A little bit, I think. So I think um, we we'll probably just need to string a run together. I think it's important that we're not getting beat just yeah. uh, as a mentality wise. But I think we'll probably look back at the end of the season and at some of these games where we could have picked up more points and uh, found it a little bit frustrating, but. I think it just shows how far we've come that we're disappointed with sort of the way that we've been doing. I think generally our performance has been pretty good this season. That's probably the first one that we've looked at and probably below uh, our usual standards. Yeah, interesting that, George, isn't it? It's uh, Newcastle aren't used to being the ones who've got possession of the ball and, and they're not used to trying to dominate the game. But uh, Dan Burns right in what he's saying. It's it's going to take a little bit of time and it's a process, isn't it? Yeah, I think he's right. I mean, Eddie Howe said something similar that that was, you know, that was probably the first time that sort of things have dipped um, sort of all round. And um, yeah, it was a it was a game that just didn't get going. But it does kind of seek into this kind of quite interesting point, which I want Chris to to talk about really because he's he's written he's written about this and it's a fascinating piece because it didn't feel like a game where Newcastle was sort of setting the agenda it didn't feel like a game to me anyway albeit you know they've had some really good chances in the first half that Newcastle were kind of dominating except when it comes to possession they actually did and not just dominating possession by a little bit but by a huge amount and to me it didn't feel like this but Chris Take that on because you you did some research on this and you've come up with a fascinating stat. Yeah, so last season Newcastle 
ranked home, uh, sorry, ranked bottom for home possession in the entire Premier League with 37.3%. And since promotion, they've more often than not, they've, they've actually averaged 40.8% possession. On Saturday, they had 72.5% possession, wow. which is the most by a distance since they came back in the Premier League, but actually is the second highest possession share they've had at St. James's Park in a Premier League match since 2003-04 when Opta began collating stats in the Premier League. Wow. So it shows how different a challenge this was for for not for really Newcastle United as a club in in its modern history but certainly in its 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 incarnation over the last decade through the Mike Ashley era and through till now is that Newcastle are just not used to having possession. They don't have this sort of possession share. In fact, the most of their wins have come when they've had fewest possession over the course. I've done a big piece sort of looking at all of this, and actually, they 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 like not having the ball. They won more often when they didn't have the ball and they were counter-attacking. And there is this sort of sea change in the way that they're playing. Three of the, they've played four home games so far, and the only one where they've had less possession in the opposition was Manchester City, which you would expect. But they had they had more than sixty percent against Forest. They had they had about fifty four percent against Palace uh, last time out and then up to 72.5%. But actually, you'd say that they looked less threatening because of that. They didn't actually look as threatening having that much of the ball. Yeah. And the fa- the fascinating thing about that is that it didn't feel like Newcastle were dominating. I mean, it must have been kind of benign possession for Newcastle because it wasn't as if they were constantly getting behind Bournemouth and pushing them and pushing them back and all that. I mean, Bournemouth's definitely sat back and you can see that but it wasn't like Newcastle was sort of doing very much with that with the ball I didn't feel like that anyway I don't know about you it almost felt like they were running out of ideas in the second half didn't it it felt like there wasn't somebody there who could just unpick the lock and I I presume Bruno went off due to sort of his fitness and stuff like that and not being match fit but it just felt like there was there wasn't anybody who could play that killer ball in the in the final third after after that and they really struggled to threaten the goal, didn't they? I know they hit the post a couple of times and stuff like that, but they, apart from a, a handball on a VAR decision for a penalty, I mean, what else? There wasn't an awful lot else, was there, in, in an attacking sense? No, I mean, and sorry, we've we've been talking. You know, we've talked a lot about Newcastle being a team that detests the football. You know, you know, since we've been doing this podcast, absolutely yeah. fucking hating the ball, and they've been a good counter-attacking team at, at, at various points. I think to play this kind of football, to have the ball, they really do need St Maxima and and Wilson in the team, and also Shelby. I mean, I think Shelby is a is a kind of very interesting figure in this as well because they they need players who can unlock other teams. Whereas, you know, on the counter attack, they do have players with pace who can kind of cause cause problems, but they need that bit of difference and they need that bit of quality, and they just did not have that in the final third, and. You know, it was a great penalty from 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 Isak, mm. but there were too many moments. Shawlart-esque, wasn't it? Yeah, Shawlart yeah. esque Yeah, I had had a had an argument about with about this with Chris because I was insisting that he blasted it, and then I watched a replay and he clearly didn't blast it, so I was wrong on that as well. He hit it firmly, but it wasn't a blast. But he hit it firmly, and I yeah, I, I do appreciate penalty. as we as we know, I appreciate a firmly struck penalty. None <laughs> of this nobbing about with little floated nonsense shit but there was there was too much i mean there, there was too much of that sort of fannying around they, they didn't they didn't get the ball into the area it was needed and they didn't have people there anyway mm. so the, the fascinating thing is this is now a tran- it's transitioning into a completely different way of playing and 
I'm not, I mean, I am disappointed with the result and I am disappointed with elements of the performance as well, except that we are seeing firsthand a team that is trying to love the football now. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's obviously good. And in, in that interview that Eddie Howe did with Alan Shearer the other week, he he talked about, you know, the style of play that they were playing last season that got brilliant results being unsustainable long term long term and he's absolutely right you know you can't win game after game after game with 30% possession it's just not going to happen yeah. so they had to do this yeah um, anyway it was it's interesting just to just to reaffirm the point though the, the, in in the article the I've listed the top 10 possession shares Newcastle have had at home matches in the Premier League throughout that time and of the top 10, they only won three of those matches. So this isn't even a modern <laughs> yeah. sort of... This is something that complete all in all of those games that had 64.4% possession or more. But they're not used to winning in this sort of way. Even the matches they won, all of the the games, they won 1-0. They don't win. It's not, it's not something that as a club it's been used to for a long, long period of time. And the one that tops the list and only by 0.2% possession came in... Uh, 2014, March 2014, Newcastle beat Crystal Palace one 0 and Papi Cissé scored a 94th minute winner. Yeah, that so that game. shows you that this is, yeah. yeah, this is not a, this is something. It, it's a real sea change that that, that that Newcastle are trying to go through, and it's just it's fascinating because it, it will take time. But really, what the, the difficulty they're doing it with is for all of the, the positive things that have happened since the takeover. They've only signed two attacking players. One of them is Chris Wood, and the other one is Alexander Isak. So they have the same attacking players who they were expecting to play on the counter-attack, who they're now trying to change to try and get into to this style. Who we, who we know, the likes of Miguel Almiron, Ryan Fraser, Jacob Murphy, that they have flaws in the way that they play anyway, even in the, that sort of counter-attacking style. But to then ask them to try and break a team down who are very defensively disciplined yeah. is a completely different challenge. Just very, very briefly, on the stats front, we should, I think, also say for a little bit of balance that 93% of statistics are wrong and there's only a 10% chance of that. Very true. Very true. Uh, we have to say, though, uh, it's probably the first time that the atmosphere inside, inside St James's Park has been a bit disappointing post-takeover, Chris, hasn't it? And obvious reasons, there was no war flags, there was no pre-match music, etc. But St James's Park just wasn't buzzing in its usual way, was it? It wasn't. I mean, Dan Burns sort of talked about this as well. And it was a very strange day for everyone. I'm sure it was for the players even more so than us. But yeah, 15 minutes before the match, all of a sudden, you didn't necessarily notice it, but then there was no music and you could hear sort of murmurings of people chatting around the stadium and then no... Uh, war flags didn't re- it was just and then obviously there was the there was the the minute silence there was the national anthem playing and it was just very very different and understandably so why all of that happened but equally it, it's sort of I, I i do feel that 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 not having that sort of pre-match punch, that that real enthusiasm that that brings, the energy it brings, I just never felt it recovered from that. And that's partly the Newcastle as a team didn't necessarily give the crowd enough to feed off, but also they didn't have the same energy to feed off and they had the same sort. So I, I don't think it ever reached the levels and it felt not lethargic, but it just felt it just felt like the afternoon never really got going. Newcastle never really got going and Bournemouth contributed to that because they frustrated them. But I think that that sort of atmosphere and that lack of energy was just was just there from before the game and just just never really picked up. The fifteen minutes immediately before kickoff, it was only after about five or six minutes that I realized you know that you realize there's no music because normally that bit's pretty deafening. And t- to have that sort of just chuntering fifty thousand people or you know gradually filling up that chuntering just set the tone for the day. And again, it's 
the whole thing is totally understandable. We know what the big reason is, but it 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 didn't change from that. And I can't remember the last time I've seen a Newcastle player score a goal as Isak did, then immediately try and lift the crowd. Yeah. You know, he was you know, lift, lifting his arms, trying to get the crowd going. And then several players were doing that around the centre circle. And, you know, the beautiful thing post-takeover has been that thing of going to St. James's, knowing it's going to be absolutely mm. deafening and loud. Yeah. Everybody in sync with each other, from the flags to the noise to the team, all that kind of thing, helping each other get through difficult days, just wasn't there. So, I mean, I really hope that that was just a one-off and a one-off that we can sort of completely understand and explain. But, it, yeah, it just wasn't there. It wasn't there on the pitch, wasn't there off the pitch. But just on that as well, there was the, when Bournemouth scored, it was almost... There was almost a delayed reaction it felt from everyone. It was almost like I know it came sort of out of the blue of itself, but it was almost almost like because nothing was mm. happening in the game. It was it was just so slow paced. It was almost like oh, there's there's a goal all of a sudden. Oh, I'll right, be honest, Newcastle have fallen behind. When George said before that he didn't think Bournemouth would score, I thought there was a crushing inevitability about that Bournemouth goal. <laughs> I thought, ah, oh, there you go, there it is. I've been waiting for that. That's been coming, um, and and it hadn't been coming in a footballing sense. Like they hadn't had loads of pressure and loads of possession, but I just thought we haven't put our chances away. And, and and it's going to end up going in the net at some point. And I just thought, oh, of course, of course, of course. But it's it's an interesting start of the season, Chris, isn't it? It's one win, one defeat, and a, and a handful of draws. It's not perfect. It's not awful. Newcastle are, are still sitting in that top 10, but it could be a whole lot better, couldn't it? And that's the kind of... The fly in the ointment, so to speak. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's whether you look at this glass half empty or glass <laughs> full, sort of half full, sort of thing. Is it? It's what it is. It's 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 one defeat in seven, um, but it's also only one win in seven, and they haven't won since the opening day. And I think I think it's the it felt or it has it feels maybe worse today because of the performance against. Uh, Bournemouth, it's harder to re- take the positives from that, whereas in previous games there were a heck of a lot of positives and Newcastle were very unlucky not to have got them. I mean, you mentioned the, the VAR decision earlier for this game. We'll probably disagree again, but I thought it, I didn't think it was a penalty. I think it's I think it's a very I thought it was very, oh, very Chris, I think it's very, very nippy. Don't lead us well, in if, like if, this, Chris. If, if, it, if, it's, if, it's, if, it's, if it's clear <laughs> and obvious, but even, well, even, if we don't, even if we don't get into the debate, which which I will undoubtedly be right about, but even if we don't get into that debate... Chris, we got a penalty, man. Say, just leave it. Move on. As, as, as you say Newcastle didn't create enough opportunities of their own they had three in quick succession just before half time but other than that there wasn't that ingenuity there wasn't the, the almost the issue with not having Shelby is partly to where Bruno's playing yes. he isn't he isn't in that slightly more advanced position he's not I mean he was half fit and and it says a heck of a lot about how poor Newcastle were that how admitted afterwards he left him on the pitch longer than he wanted to because he was hoping he might do something I mean he had a few nice touches but you could see he wasn't fully fit but they don't have Sam Maximan who really is that point of difference certainly in a match like this he might do something different he might take someone on whereas how many times was it that that Miguel Almiron got the ball on the right goes to the byline and cuts back on his left as expect or on the other side Ryan Fraser not getting the ball in quickly enough Jacob Murphy comes on doesn't offer really any impact and even even not having Elliot Anderson who missed the game with an injury you didn't have him he, he yeah. came on against Palace and looked like he would make something happen Newcastle didn't have that on the bench on Saturday the bench was very very weak and they're lacking those options and to not have Wilson to, to, to I mean I, I was surprised by how long it took him to bring on Chris Wood because of the fact that you just felt Newcastle are trying to put so many crosses in here Chris Wood is an attacker on the bench and he didn't come on until the, the last minute essentially which was I was I was surprised he didn't 
change because it didn't look like Newcastle was suddenly going to do something before he came on the pitch. And I suppose that brings us on to Alexander Isak. And yeah. it's two goals in three games. He dispatches penalty very, very well. But take out the penalty and there wasn't really an opportunity for him. He, he wasn't in the game. Didn't he? Yeah, he wasn't in the game for large parts of it. And Newcastle haven't yet at home worked out how to really get Alexander Isak. And the, the, the thought process the minute maybe makes you think yeah. yeah he needs Callum Wilson he can play alongside him or just off him is that what he's going to be better suited to particularly at St James's you know what there was a couple of incidences in the game where uh, Isaac was making runs and he was making little moves and, and, and shapes and he was the ball was coming in he was dropping it off to somebody and there was nobody there it was almost like the kind of the, the you know they weren't tuned in together quite yet but I think he needs he might be one of those strikers who needs somebody up there alongside him and he's not even though he's tall He's not a physical striker, is he? He seemed to get sort of bullied off the ball a little bit. Um, but maybe it'll come with confidence. And, the t- you know, the t- dispatching the penalty can't do him any harm at all. But, but George, I'd love to see him just try and stamp his authority a little bit more. And, and uh, you know, he, he doesn't he doesn't need to play like Chris Wood. He ha- he is his own striker, his own type of player. Absolutely. Um, I, I want us to play to his strengths. Yeah, it felt to me like a very... You know, a pretty flimsy front three, certainly for that kind of game. If you go back to his first goal, Isak's first goal, of course that was running into huge amount of space at Anfield because Anfield were attacking Newcastle and um, he was able to use his pace, his athleticism and, you know, he had room to do what he wanted to do. He had no room at all on Saturday for that kind of movement because that's just not, that's just not the game that Bournemouth were playing. Bournemouth were dropping back and so it was up to Newcastle to try and find a way through them and they weren't able to do it and so in those circumstances I mean Almiron again did did a lot of things right but the final ball wasn't one of them and um, again it doesn't play to his strength because you know his strength is on the account is on counter-attack using his pace to get past people just wasn't there as a as an option and so absolutely Newcastle need if they're going to beat people in those kind of games where they've got the ball, they need their difference makers on the pitch. Be fascinated to see what happens when Wilson comes back. I mean, you would imagine it would be Wilson in the middle, you'd have ASM on one side and Isak on the other. And perhaps, you know, perhaps in those circumstances, Newcastle would have won, you know, on Saturday. You know, the other thing to talk about at the moment is in spite of all the money that, that that has been spent since the takeover has happened and in spite of the team being strengthened obviously which it has the bench is still incredibly weak i mean if you look at that bench on saturday there was not i mean there's you know a lot of good honest uh, players on there that we have got a lot of time for for lots of reasons but there are no game changers on that bench um and so you know that is that is still a problem for the team um, you know, you asked Taylor about is it positive, is it different? I mean, I think it can, you can argue it both ways. I look at the table, see Newcastle being tenth, and I I like that. I mean, I like I like the fact that they're not near the bottom of the table. That I'm not thinking about that. That I'm not worried about that. Certainly not not at the moment. Um, and I'm you know they've shown again as they as they already have done this season that they can come from a goal behind and get something out of matches. You know, I think that's very important. There is still that resilience there. The defence, by and large, is a lot better, but it does feel like there's feels a bit like a sort of what if situation at the minute that they could, <clears throat> arguably, should have two or three, four more points, and if so, they'd be a bit higher. But no, I mean, I think I'm very much in the glass half full stage. Um, 
yeah, just feels like a bit of a missed opportunity, I think. It's interesting, isn't it? I've, I've always been a glass half full kind of person, but being a Newcastle fan for my entire life, the glass tends to be half full of warm piss. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and if only just half full, I mean, more than more than half full of warm piss. Absolutely. But, you, but, you, but that, I, I think that's important. I mean, I do think that's an important thing. I know you're making a joke there, but I think, mm. I think a year ago and more, the first thing you'd be thinking is, you know, you'd look down the fixtures and think, can't win that, not going to win that, no chance. And I don't have that anymore. You're still looking at the fixtures. I mean, I'm looking at Fulham now and thinking that feels like a big game for Newcastle, you know, in order to to get a win. You know, they need a win, having not won since the opening day of the season in the league. I have that feeling that Newcastle need a, need a win. I don't, however, think it's beyond them. <laughs> you know, it's fair and the idea of Newcastle winning is not an alien concept. It's something that not I don't expect, but I, de- I definitely anticipate now and definitely hope for. That is the big ch- that is the big change. Whereas again, a year ago, you're waiting for something around the corner for something to something to happen and something bad to happen, and I don't have that anymore. What's that? I think it's my house is on fire. <laughs> oh dear. episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, then we are back, and don't panic, ladies and gents. George's house hasn't burned down. <laughs> Just after George said, I've got a great reassuring feeling that nothing's going to go wrong. <laughs> what was what happened? Uh, so- I've learned my lesson. <laughs> I have learned my lesson. There is, there is, I am, yeah, this is Newcastle after all. Come on. Uh, I mean, there is always something around the corner. I didn't expect the fire engines to be outside my house, like, <laughs> to, to ram that message in. But no, everything's fine. I'm just slightly singed. Oh. 
but no, otherwise okay. Right then, uh, Chris, we've uh, we've had an international call up uh, or two, even two international call ups. Kieran Trippier and Nick Pope into the England squad. It, it deserved for Kieran Trippier and for Nick Pope, I would say they've been great. And Nick Pope also with their save of the month for August as well. Yeah, I mean you've got Newcastle having signed over the course of the last ten months, nine months established England internationals as both of them are and they retain their places deservedly so that's the change that's been there post takeover when I spoke to Nick Pope uh, in July in Austria he said that he thinks that in future more and more England players will look at Newcastle United and think that's a place I want to go to be able to further my international career and that's what Pope said to me as well he said I'm not coming here just to retain my place in the England squad I want to be number one I believe this is a place that can help me progress and he's been excellent for Newcastle United so far this season. His save uh, that he won save of the month for was from Adam Lallana, and Newcastle played away at Brighton down to his left. I actually think that his save from Erling Haaland when he tipped it on the post was even better. Really good. But there have been been a lot of very good saves, and it's the way that... What's impressed me about Nick Pope is not just those saves it's the difference that that he has brought to the way that Newcastle can play because of his style of goalkeeping Eddie Howe wants to play with a high defensive line as Newcastle are doing now so to do that he needs a keeper who's proactive who comes off his line and Pope comes out of his box and he makes interceptions he uses his head he he even comes out and tries to head the ball out and um, just just the way that he has changed the way Newcastle can play in that sense. And what I found very interesting is obviously the one I'd say still is probably the weakest part of his game is when he's got the ball at his feet and he still doesn't look overly comfortable doing that. But Newcastle have encouraged him to use his throwing even more because his throwing is very, very good. He's got a very long throw on him and it's very accurate. And he's got a very high percentage of throws compared to, to actually using his feet. So I think he's been excellent. And what a very what a bargain sign he was at £11 million. He's been a big presence, hasn't he, George? He's uh, he's filled the goal. Oh, he's been fabulous. Yeah, no, absolutely. As Chris says, I mean, I, he, claiming stuff as as his own, using the box, he offers that reassurance. You don't have any fear about, you know, you don't have any fear. You don't think that there's, I mean, again, bearing in mind, I've just said there's nothing around the corner of my house nearly burnt down. I, I don't <laughs> want to kind of give too many, um, I don't want to kind of give too many predictions, but you have that feeling of security that there isn't that mistake in his locker. Oh, I can't believe I've said that. Um, but you know, you just don't look at you. You just don't look at that part of the team and and have concerns. And I would, you know, I get. I've said this a few times now. When it happened, it to me it felt like is this really the 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 part of the team that Newcastle need to strengthen? I mean, is this is this really you know should this be the priority? Particularly you know, um, but it's shown what I know because he's been he's been he's been sensational. I don't think you know. I think he's. I think he's been absolutely brilliant. And again, you mentioned Trippier. You know the the thing that I always think I'm I'm still, you know, pinching myself really that Tri- that Trippier plays for Newcastle, just offers so much leadership. He's great. The set pieces fantastic. Crossing it in the box. Again, if Wilson was in the team at the minute, you just have that feeling that he'd be he'd be converting them. I love Trippier, um, but the two of them absolutely you know deserved deserve to be in the England squad and certainly in Pope's case you'd think he has a good chance of starting yeah a lot of uh, a lot of Everton fans might not agree with this uh, Chris but do you think he's good enough to usurp Jordan Pickford I mean Pickford by all accounts started the season very very well and from what I've seen of of Everton highlights he has he, I mean particularly against Liverpool mm. he was he was fantastic yeah, he was. but 
Um, I see Nick Pope every week, and from what I've seen from him, if I was Gareth Southgate, I would have no qualms whatsoever in, in putting him uh, in the team this week and also giving him that chance going into the World Cup. If, if Pickford doesn't play regularly between now and the World Cup because of his injury, then I think Pope should be, in my opinion, next in line. But Southgate tends to to be loyal to the players he's, he's kept before. That's part of the reason why Trippier has retained his place A in the squad and then B in, potentially in the team. And I think that the likelihood is that Pickford is quite a way ahead in terms of being the player who will probably play during the World Cup if he's fully fit. Yeah, and in a spectacular piece of uh, poor planning from the Italian Football Federation, the game's being played in Milan and not Rome, <laughs> uh, which is a massive shame, isn't it, George? That would be, that would be serendipitous. We have faith. We have faith. <clears throat> Keep the faith. Absolutely. Keep the faith in Pope. Absolutely. And two Newcastle players in an England squad for the first time since I smell a quiz. Chris, when was the last time two England players were in the squad? 2007. Two Newcastle players, sorry, in the squad. 2007. We were talking about this last week and we think it's 2007, but and I don't, I'm not sure we then talked about who the players were, but presumably one was Michael Owen. Yes, and I think the other... I mean, Joey Barton was in England squads at that point, but it may. I think it's probably more likely to be Alan Smith. Oh, uh, Smith. Uh, you are both correct. Yeah, it's 2007 was correct. It was Michael Owen and it was Alan Smith. There you go. Michael Owen, one of, if not my least favourite ever Newcastle United player. <laughs> And Alan Smith, who was Mike Ashley's favourite player. Do you remember when he, he joined? Ashley wore an Alan Smith that, 17 yeah. shirt. That was because of the roulette number, wasn't it? Was that was that right? That he won on... Or was it that he put a thing on roulette because of Alan Smith's number? I mean, I've just completely cocked up whatever the story is. But, uh, <laughs> the, there's something right. to do with Mike, Mike Ashley, Alan Smith's shirt number and roulette, but I can't remember the actual story. Chris, that was almost an anecdote. Well done. <laughs> My abiding memory of Alan Smith is he came on against... West Brom in the last game of the season, we were 3-1 up um, and he sat on his arse in the centre circle for 10 minutes and it ended up being 3-3. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. My my abiding memory of Michael Owen is of him never, ever wanting to play for Newcastle. Yeah, and absolutely. Yet. Yes. Team Allen from work on that one, aren't we? Team Allen for work. Absolutely. Well, one nice uh, side effect of the international break, chaps, is that it gives a chance for some of our injured stars to recover. Chris, have we got a bit of a I found out. I found out what the story is. Update? Oh, come on then. Oh, right, right in okay. my back Apparently, Thanks. he reportedly won £1.3 after spending 15 minutes at a roulette table in Mayfair's private member 50 club it is claimed we've all done that, that. we've all is, done that it is claimed that when he saw the ball nest on number 17 he said to the croupier that'll do me thanks very much and walked out to applause and then that became his favoured number which is why he wore Alan Smith's number 17 shirt and then he vomited oh, okay. in a fireplace on the way out <laughs> uh, anyway can I do the, the end bit Chris without you yes yeah, sorry sorry no, yeah, that's sorry. fine don't sorry, worry about it just don't let it ever happen again uh <laughs> Uh, one nice side effect of the international break, it gives uh, a bit of time for our injured players to recover. Do we have an update on Callum Wilson and Alanson Maximum? Yes, and it's more positive about Callum Wilson than it is about Alanson Maximum. We expect Callum Wilson to be back, certainly involved in this squad for Fulham, as long as he doesn't have any sort of setback over the course of this week. Start training with the team. Or training again, sorry, this week and and is back and close to fitness. So that is a huge boost. Newcastle getting their top scorer from the last two seasons back. Ansat Maximan had what Eddie Howe described as a very minor setback. 
He didn't completely rule him out of Fulham, but he, he suggested that, that it wasn't definite that he would be back. So I think that Sam Maximan may be another game or two, but Callum Wilson will be back. Elliot Anderson's injury is minor as well, so he should be back involved hopefully as well. And so that that is that is a significant positive. I mean, the, the issue with Wilson is you always have this where he gets into a bit of an injury and everyone at the club seems very reluctant to ever say how long it is, but it's always, it's always a minor injury. It's always, you know, it's going to be a couple of weeks and it's always a bit longer than they say. And I can understand why a because um they want to be careful with them but b because he does unfortunately he does pick up these muscle injuries that's just the way that, it, that his, his body works and, can't, and that was the fear it pushed them into signing alexander isak which in one sense was a positive yeah but getting callum wilson back would be absolutely massive for newcastle i have to say george i do like the way eddie howe deals with the questions about injuries in press conferences where he basically says well you know i'll tell you when i find out and when you find out and you're not get you're not getting any info, basically. So fuck off. That's basically what he does, isn't it? Well, in a very polite way, he does. Yes, he's he's very cagey about he's very cagey about stuff like that. I mean, you know, on our side of the fence, obviously, you want to ask a question and get and get get the answer that you want, and he doesn't sort of do that. So, um, but yeah, fair play. Friday before the press co- before the game, sorry, in his press conference, it was one of the weirdest answers I've ever heard to that question because sometimes managers will come out and say, "Oh, well, they're having a late fitness test or whatever," and he basically said, uh, "You'll find out when the team news is in." It's like, what does that even? What does that even mean? I don't. <laughs> I think that means you'll find out an hour before kickoff, like all exactly. the rest of the plebs, like, like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is fair enough. We'll be back in just a tick with some talk about Newcastle United women's team. And a couple of bits of news about youth signings as well. See you in a minute. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, Newcastle United women's team uh, played Chorley Ladies and drew 1-1. Chris, that was your first experience of a Newcastle women's game alongside 2,300 other mags. How was it? I really enjoyed it. It was a really, it's a really, really fun atmosphere. Um, everyone is, in, there's lo- loads of families, loads of loads of kids there uh, joining. And I thought to have it at Kingston Park, I haven't experienced the other matches, so I'm not, I'm not in comparison to elsewhere, but it just feels, it feels that, like an occasion. I mean, I go to a lot of rugby over the years. I have done at Kingston Park and I like it as a venue. And I think it just, just seemed to fit perfectly for that sort of crowd to 2,300 supporters there on Sunday. That's great. They're That's getting consistently... Uh, decent crowds of that sort of level, particularly for that level when you compare it to other other teams and that. And this is the fourth division of women's football we're talking about here. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, the game itself wasn't a great game. Newcastle struggled. Uh, I mean, Newcastle were the better team, but they struggled. They weren't at their, their own level and surely frustrated them. But in terms of as the occasion, the, 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 the match, the, the, the experience, I really enjoyed that. 1-1 uh, draw, George, in a match that Newcastle were expected to win and were frustrated by the opposition. It sounds quite familiar, that, doesn't it? It does a bit, yeah. I was frustrated by my companion because I went, I went as well, and Chris brought 
ham and peas pudding sandwiches and just munched through them. He just, halfway through the second half, he just opened this Tupperware box and started eating a sandwich in front of me and he didn't offer me any. I thought that was incredibly rude. That is really rude, Chris. Feel to prepare, prepare to feel. That's all I can say, George. George, when we, yeah. went, when we went to West Brom, I offered you ham and yes. peas pudding sandwiches on the bus. And That's I how loved you do it, it Chris. Geordie, Think on. guacamole, it was beautiful. I, I'm, I'm not sharing my ham and peas pudding with anyone. Right. Well, you set a tone, and you've kept carried on that tone in this podcast for most of it. Yeah, it was disappointing. I mean, the the goal they conceded was was a sort of worldy free kick, um, and tough to keep out. But I I don't know. I wonder, uh, you know, that that experience of playing at Kingston Park. I mean, I, it it must be kind of quite difficult for for them. Not difficult, unusual for them, I guess. You know, this is a team. That you know, that's in the fourth tier. They're now playing at this big venue, yeah, uh, with big crowds, and it must be kind of quite diff- different for them. I, you know, I don't know. They were, they were, you know, they were successful last season in the sense that you know they had a winning season and fell just short of promotion at the end of it. So it's not that they're not used to being dominant at this level, but it is a very different atmosphere. I mean, it is a brilliant atmosphere. It's not that they're being put under pressure by the crowd. Um, but but yeah, familiar. Chorley took four points off them last season. That was a source of disappointment. They were they've struggled so far this season. So to to not get the three points, uh, particularly after the last home game as well, which they lost, will be disappointing. And they're sitting second in the league at the minute, George, aren't they? As well, after five matches, they know only too well as well. There's only one promotion place up for grabs. Yeah. So it's 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 going to be a hard road, isn't it? And it's going to be a long season for them. Yeah, I mean, I asked, I asked kind of Becky Langley this when I interviewed her not too too long ago, the man, the manager about that sort of pressure, and she put it the other way. She she turned it around and said that, you know, other teams playing Newcastle will feel the pressure because they're going to be, you know, they're going to be playing against a really good team. I think that's fair enough. But again, you know, I don't know how many other times Chorley will play in a venue like Kingston Park this season, and perhaps there is that other thing about opposition teams raising their levels, playing against a team that everybody will be expecting to kind of go up this season. So, you know, again, that's something they've got to get to grips with pretty soon. You know, the owners were were there again on on Sunday and Amanda and Murdad, you know, and that's, you know, that's great. That's very um it's fantastic that they're absolutely putting their money where their mouth is and supporting the women's team, but there is that sort of pre- pressure around it. I don't want to put pressure on them, but um, you know, yeah, second's not good enough this season. I mean, we were in the opposite stand to to where the dugouts are in the first half and then in the second half at the end of the pitch but you could you could see from where we were that Becky Langley was very very frustrated on the touch she just not she's not quite like Eddie Howe in terms of she's a bit more like Jason Tindall in terms of she very much wears her heart in her sleeve on the touch she or she, at least that was my experience from from yesterday she was she was not very happy with her and she was very very animated no she no she was I mean she is and she was furious after the last home game and um I mean, I, I tried to, I tried to, I kind of thought I might try and get a couple of minutes with her for the podcast, but she was, she was a little bit too furious, and so I didn't, I didn't try this time. But, um, but I love going. The, the annoying thing is that um, I got a, I've bought a couple of season tickets for it, which is, it's great value. It's thirty, thirty quid, and um, of course I forgot them on, I forgot oh, them on Sunday, didn't I? So I've, I've paid, mistake, paid George. my three quid to get in, but yeah, schoolboy. Oh dear. 
Uh, well, uh, another area of the club that the uh, the new owners are looking to develop is obviously going to be the academy. It's uh, an area that people have said for years has needed a bit of investment. Uh, but the club are pursuing the services of a new youth player. Is that right, Chris? We might have a bit of news on that. Well, they are attempting to sign. They've been in advanced negotiations to sign Garan Kuyol from Central Coast Mariners in Australia. He turned 18 last week and he's just been called into the Australian national squad actually for their back-to-back matches against New Zealand. Chris Wood uh, could play against Chris Wood over the course of this 4-9. Basically he's seen as the, the biggest talent in, in Australia, the biggest young talent coming through. And so several European sides have, have been looking at him. He's a forward um, and he, he hasn't actually started an A-League match, yet he's he's scored four goals in just 145 minutes coming on as a substitute. So he's he's very raw still, but he, he clearly has something about him, and Newcastle are looking to try and get him in. Um, it would officially, if they do complete the sign, would officially go through in January, and he'd probably be someone they may send out on loan to begin with because of sort of work permit issues, but also because he's he would be part of the under twenty one one setup as they look to bolster that. He would hopefully longer term become a, a first team player and graduate into that. But really, Newcastle are looking to to raise the levels below the first team as well as within the first team itself. I mean, he during the summer they signed. Alex Murphy, Jordan Hackett, Charlie MacArthur and Jude Smith to really sort of, they, they were all seen as, that one of them came from Ireland, one of the best players in Ireland, from Scotland, uh, a player at Spurs who they wanted to keep. These are players, it is to raise that level, it's not just about the first team and that's something that Dan Ashworth in particular, since he's coming as sporting director, has really been looking uh, to address. Fantastic stuff. Well, yeah, that, that youth team and that academy will see some radical overhaul, just like the rest of the club, but that's a, probably a wider discussion uh, to be had at another time. Uh, right then, don't forget uh, to go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod for access to endless amounts of great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast. A special starting price of just £1 a month for the first six months. I think that's it, chaps, unless there's anything else to add. Chris, are you going to come in with a bit of a better attitude next week, or are you still going to be a little chippy fucker? Well, I'm going on a stag do to Burton on Trent oh, this weekend, lads, so, lads, lads, which lads, is, lads. is where everyone imagines... stag venue, that is. Exactly, Burton yeah. Everyone, everyone, everyone imagines yeah. going with Burton on Trent, so, uh, yeah, I, I may be in... Uh, in a, I, mean, I, I may still be recovering by that stage, so we shall see. He's he's very much sort of carried on the vibe of Eddie Howe's shithouse mags, hasn't he? He's sort of got, you know, gone gone to Anfield and irritated. Our very own Joe Linton. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's come to this podcast and he's, it's like, studs up. So I'll be ready next week, Chris, that's all. You know, I'll be ready. I'll be waiting. I'll be in the tunnel. You know, you do the talk on the pitch, but can you do it in the tunnel, son? Well, that's, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I mean, you are a terrifying physical presence, short Sam. Really uh, the, sh- the Chicago way, Chris. We know how that ends. We know how that ended for um, Al Capone. Well, he got arrested for tax fraud. So it's not anyway. Let's let's not get let's not get bogged down on Al Capone. All I'm saying is, yeah, I'll be in the tunnel. Right, if you two quite finished, uh, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening to Pod on the Time again this week. We'll be back very soon with all of the info from Newcastle United. Cheers for listening. We'll speak to you again soon. Bye-bye.
I want to hand this over to Chris because I think Sorry, he, he wants to go first. And I'm that, gonna, I'm I'll do that again. It. I'll do that again. Sorry. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> I have to say though, Chris, it was it was quite a disappointment. Oh, disappointment. Fuck off. <laughs> You're a disappointment. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> hell, Chris. Have you been talking to my dad again, Chris? <laughs> oh. No one was going to need to wear shin pads for this podcast. Wow. <laughs> Chris, has, Chris has been eating barbed wire or something. I don't know what's going on. He's pumped up. Clip it, Ollie. Clip it and put it at the end. That's uh... <laughs> The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.